these are small biochips, so we don't need a lot of materials to make right. them. So, <laughs> so when we we put place an order with 3M and they say, well, that's that's not a lot of material. So we say, well, it's going to make about two million biochips. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so we're so anyways, we don't need a lot of supply to to, to get our stuff going. The Medical Alley Podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. For over 20 years, the healthcare industry's largest companies have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision while designing and developing innovative digital products. Whether you're powering a medical device, overhauling your backend architecture, or reimagining your patient experience, MentorMate can help. The global team takes a personalized and in-depth approach to deliver secure solutions in all sectors of healthcare. With deep expertise in design, development, cloud, and software support, MentorMate helps healthcare clients administer state-of-the-art care through technology. Trusted guidance, global expertise, secure integration. MentorMate delivers digital transformation at scale. Learn more at MentorMate.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone out there in Medical Alley. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. I'm very excited today because we are joined by two people who are at the forefront of a diagnostic revolution. And if you listen to one of our previous podcasts with Dr. Bill Maurice from Mayo Clinic Laboratories, you heard how important it is that we advance diagnostic technology. Well, right here in Medical Alley, we've got a company that's building some pretty unique capabilities, and they're using technology that was developed in uh, some areas that may surprise you, uh, even in greeting cards. But before we get into that, I want to say a a thank you and a welcome to Ethan Denauer and Bill Denauer from Micromed. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, Maybe the place to start, can we get a little bit of history of the company of where Micromed got started, the tie to LASIK, and the this greeting card thing that I remember seeing, I don't even know how many years ago, but where you could cut deep layers into paper in some pretty unique ways. And then that has become a core technology in making microfluidics. What, what is that about? Yeah, thanks, Frank. Yeah, we started LASIKs in 1998 as a laser material processing company. And this company attracted all sorts of relationships over the years, one being greeting cards. Hmm. But initially, we really focused on 3M, one of the premier material handling, material science companies in the world. Right on. And we started processing abrasive materials, adhesive materials, elastic materials, all sorts of polymers. And we started building equipment around that. And the equipment is really an engine for multiple manufacturing industries, including medical. We created a engine that basically is powered by a laser, software, controls, optics, and we process materials with that engine, which is owned by Lasix Industries. So this brand is called Laser Sharp, and we started selling over 500 machines over the years usually special applications. I would say about 20% go into medical. So we originally were considered a prototype house. So we created our own facility to have machines um, that were available to any 
any uh, manufacturer. So larger companies like 3M, Abbott, Roche came to us and say, can you help us prototype this, this, these materials into parts? And we did that. And this is the connection with, with greeting cards because we did business with Hallmark. Mm-hmm. So they wanted intricate cutting on paper. Roche wanted intricate cutting on polymers for diagnostic devices. Oh, very cool. And maybe just as an aside, so you mentioned prototyping. Where would the companies then go with, they said, like full scale? Was it a different kind of technology for full scale manufacturing? Completely correct. Usually on the scale up, they would convert over to an injection molded part. Ah. And we started to realize, um, and I worked with Tom Dahl, uh, who's the director of Micromed. He suggested to the, the clients, maybe we could make these in production. And because meanwhile, we're working with 3M and roll-fed production because they mainly produce their their materials in rolls. Mm-hmm. And we said, well, why couldn't we laminate these materials together in a production sense and not just prototype? So at the point, at the point we're doing, we're doing single-layer uh, constructions of microfluidics and creating these layers and then stacking them manually. But we soon figured out that we could do this in an automated way through roll-fed. And so this was the transition to to Micromed. And it took us a little time. Mm-hmm. This was about 2004, 2005. And we started migrating our business into creating a service industry to create microfluidic uh, structures for biochips. Oh, fascinating. I, I was thinking it's so interesting the how advances in manufacturing technologies and capabilities are really what enable us to have big advances in science, right? Something we can do in the lab is interesting. Something we can do at scale becomes useful for humanity, and you all are building that. Microfluidics has been mentioned a couple of times. Maybe for some of our listeners who don't know quite what that is or what the biochips are, I'd ask either of you, could you maybe give us a background? What is microfluidics and what are these biochips that we're talking about? Yeah, so so microfluidics is in essence a branch of fluidics as a whole. And it's really about portaling small fluids around, typically in channel sizes of one millimeter or less, so which gets into the micron uh, scale. And sometimes you can even get into the, na- uh, the nano scale as well uh, if you use other technologies like soft lithography. But typically, you know, for most of these uh, biochip designs for diagnostic applications, typically 50 microns, 100 micron, 200 micron channels are adequate to miniaturize that protocol to get it into a compact consumable. Mm-hmm. And what are this compact consumable, what is it then used for? Yeah, so it's, it's ultimately, I mean, there's two kind of models that are emerging on the marketplace. One is the instrument and consumable model, mm-hmm. and one is the consumable basically operating independently of an instrument. And there's real limitations on uh, clinical relevancy for those pure just mm-hmm. consumables. So a lot of these point-of-care diagnostics, near-patient settings, still operate in conjunction with an instrument. Ah, so I, I might have a, a benchtop diagnostic instrument that could use uh, the consumable, uh, a cartridge that might be coming from Micromed, coming from one of your clients probably, in order to more rapidly diagnose some sort of disease. That's correct. So our clients are typically coming to us with a proven or novel assay design that's proven on benchtop or in a central laboratory protocol, 
and they're looking to miniaturize that on-chip to usually not necessarily eliminate the instrumentation, Mm -hmm. but to dramatically reduce the form factor so it can be distributed in a distributed setting, whether it's in the in the clinical environment, whether it's in the near a very near patient's mm-hmm. setting, or if it's actually right in right in someone's home, right. so you, you started to see a few of those platforms actually pop up during COVID, where they had a very kind of simple instrument that was sold along with the consumable. Oh, interesting. Yeah, maybe just a, a question on that. We've heard from a lot of companies that the pandemic changed their their business or changed the demand dynamics. I would think in the diagnostic world that was particularly true. What, what did you see? Yeah, I think the, the big thing with the pandemic was it's finally some real fundamental consumer education that occurred, consumer awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, a consumer can't ask for a product if they don't know what right. it is. So predominantly the things that are at point of care historically are, are antigen tests. So this is your home pregnancy test. And again, there's for very simple assays, um, this is what is typically distributed today and commercialized for more complex assays and, and typically a, a category of that is molecular diagnostics. These are very difficult assays to transition into a very compact uh, consumable biochip with an instrument. So that's and maybe that leads to our future question that you have. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of fascinating that I think two or three years ago, probably most people didn't know what an antigen test was unless they were in this industry. And now we're broadly aware. You're talking about advanced diagnostics, molecular diagnostics, being able to move closer to that kind of form factor and utility where I might be able to do that at home versus going into the clinic, a blood draw, things like that. Um, maybe won't replace everything, but gives me a, a wider array of options that I can care for myself without always having to drive in or make an appointment or set things up that might be complex. Exactly, right? It's it's transitioning from the, the qualitative or semi-quantitative mm-hmm. to trying to actually get uh, quantitative diagnostics at the point of care so you can really make real clinical decisions. Uh, that's been the the big challenge, right. and it still is a challenge. But you can see this starting to move in that direction, and really, um, the pandemic served as uh, a big catalyst. A big catalyst, exactly. This episode of the Medical Alley Podcast is brought to you by Gamut One Studios. Gamut One Studios is a full service photography and videography studio in the Twin Cities, made up of a talented team of creative professionals. Gamut One Studios has extensive experience in the medical, health, and pharma industries and for decades has been working with companies of all sizes to produce their visual projects. So if you're looking to refresh your website or elevate your marketing materials with new product photos, headshots, or corporate videos, check out their work at gamutonestudios.com. When you, you said like, starting to move in that direction, I mean, even in my time around this, I've heard for many years, like the promise of point of care, this is going to happen. And I think similar to telehealth where capabilities were there, but use was not. Pandemic certainly accelerated it. Any thought on why it's taken so long to get to this point? Has it been technological? Has it been care delivery payment? And what's your, what do you think about the future of it? Are we on the cusp of making this shift? 
Yeah, and maybe it's good to step back for a second and, and do a definition of what a biochip is. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, it's a term that's um, that's relatively new, and um, it, it can serve as a corollary to just lab on a chip. So I'm sure mm-hmm. many people have heard of lab on a chip, and there's kind of three fundamental um, pillars of that technology. One is microfluidics, nanofluidics, and another is reagents and, mm. and not just reagents but onboarded shelf stable reagents that's a big element to make point of care work right i can't um, store this stuff in a fridge you, forever exactly you cannot support cold storage if you really want to have a scaled mm-hmm. point of care diagnostic um, so there's been um, breakthroughs over the last 10 years in creating shelf stable reagents right. that can basically be distributed into typical warehouses so that's a big emergence and the next, it's not applicable for all of these biochips, but microelectronics as well. Mm. So, so integrated um, resistive circuits, electrodes, um, temperature sensing, Bluetooth connectivity. These are the things that really create this biochip that's part of usually this instrument consumable model mm-hmm. and makes it much more powerful. The more you can onboard on the on chip, in essence, mm-hmm. The, the more simple the instrumentation can be. Oh, right. I, I got to say, that's pretty amazing to think about the amount of like electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, fluidics, biology, chemistry, physics, even, especially as you get that small, that is involved in making what, if you looked at it, can seem on face rather simple. All of those different technologies needing to converge to get to this point. I want to maybe back up for a moment on the the manufacturing side, a a term I had learned only relatively recently, and and you had mentioned the 3M piece, is this idea of converting. And and maybe for our audience who might not be as familiar with it, can we just get another definition? What is it that we mean when we talk about converting, and how does that play into all of this work? Yeah, Frank, yeah, the, the big thing about converting is taking raw materials which is using a roll format or sheet format, usually flexible material. That's papers, polymers, textiles, foams, adhesives, all sorts of materials to convert that material into its final shape. Mm. And so the shape is using outer shape mm-hmm. or internal features within that, that part. So it's taking raw materials mm-hmm. that... Uh, for us, roll-fed is my, by far the most efficient. That's rolls of material. Mm-hmm. And laser cutting, laser scoring, laser perforating, laser welding these materials oh. into its final part. And this is really the enabling part of our secret sauce at, mm-hmm. at Micromed is the ability to take layer by layer, put features in that you cannot do with injection molding to add chemistry into the into the part to add flexible electronics, microelectronics into the part. You cannot do that with injection molding. So what Ethan described about those three pillars, we can build that into this biochip in an automated way and at a great price. So the cost of this production is totally automated, and right. we can do basically the assembly on a roll-fed and a sem- and an automated final assembly machine. So we need two machines to build these hmm. these diagnostics. This allows us to to deploy the the uh, 
manufacturing close to where the the consumer is and get these biochips in the marketplace at a at a at a low cost. So it's almost like point of care manufacturing, right? And 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 this is really separating ourselves from the optional ways to make uh, biochips. Oh, that's fascinating! And again, the manufacturing technology and capabilities enabling these advances. But I heard in there a lot of different things that are coming together. Uh, a big issue we've heard from a lot of companies the last couple of years has been supply chain and just the the challenges of bringing so many different products together. I, I'd just be curious, how has that affected your guys' work? What have you seen? And, and I'm asking you, we're recording this on, on October 18th. How does it feel today compared to maybe six or 12 months ago as far as like managing your supply chain? Yeah, uh, we've had from building machine tools, it's been difficult. And uh, electronics have been uh, our main problem yeah. with building our controllers. Uh, we've had to shift uh, whole designs onto different control platforms. And so from building machine tools, it's been been difficult. So our lead times are, mm-hmm. are, are way out, probably double what they normally are. From the, from the micromed side, very little impact. I, I think uh-huh. the more positive thing is really the engineers now are back in the game with, with traveling and meeting and collaborating. And I think that's been enriching to to, to move uh, uh, the biochip design along faster. So we, we, we are a CDMO, so we're a contract development and manufacturing organization. So the contract development is really accelerated, spurred on, I think, by people by realizing that uh, advanced rapid diagnostics are, are, are important mm-hmm. and are, are willing to fund that. And we feel our, our customers, our scientists are, are feel enabled to, to continue the development. So we feel good with, with where we're at with supply chain. And we have to keep in mind that this is, these are, these are small biochips, so we don't need a lot of materials to make right. them. So, <laughs> so when we, we put place an order with 3M and they say, well, that's, that's not a lot of material. So we say, well, it's going to make about 2 million biochips. So, wow. <laughs> so we're, so anyways, we don't need a lot of supply to, to, to get our stuff going. Oh, it's good to hear that. I've, I've been constantly impressed by the creativity of companies to adapt and overcome in this very challenging environment and get products out that are so critical, that are so needed for health and safety. One of the things I'd be really curious about then, if I, if I look forward to the future, it sounds like there's been a lot of advances in the technologies. There's been a lot of change in the market. What sort of things then are your customers coming to you for? What are they asking for? Where do they go? This is the place where we really need help. And you're able to bring your unique expertise to the problem. Yeah, I, I think a, a general challenge in medical device development mm-hmm. is, is if you look at the average time to your 510K submission, mm-hmm. it's just usually these uh, design cycles, these development cycles are just historically very long. Um, so a lot of our customers are indeed startups. They're startups in the West and East Coast uh, that get Series A funding, Series B funding, and there's uh, strong demand from their investors mm-hmm. to show significant progress in short periods of time, which actually I think is healthy for the medical device space. But as a consequence, they're acting, they're expecting agile hardware development, just like there's agile software development. Right. They want to, to show significant improvement in the traction of their device. 
And that's something that really uniquely that that MicroMed can bring to the table by leveraging digital converting technology. Mm-hmm. So you saw Bill talk about laser this, laser yeah. that. Yeah. That's that's a big difference. Is it's a matter of just a software change to create a totally different microfluidic circuit oh. on a layer. I don't need to if I have features that are very small, very close together, it's either not feasible with mechanical dye mm-hmm. or it's a very intricate uh, approach. There's right. a small number of suppliers that can make uh, rotary dyes that have those small features. And, and if that's I needed a long, to change it, that's a if lot you need of work. To change, right? Because there's still there's still limitations to how much you can use CFD to model mm-hmm. these these circuits. It's mm-hmm. certainly growing, and that's uh, an amazing technology that we're continuing to keep our eye on. But there's real value in rapid hardware development cycles. Yeah, And we can really bring that to the table using digital converting technologies. And if there is an, uh, eventually what will be transitioned to an injection molded casing, yep. I always think about like packaging, um, just like in the semiconductor industry, you see that little black package right, right over the top. Um, we can leverage 3D printing technologies for that. Very so good. this all allows us to do rapid, rapid iterations. Mm-hmm. And that allows our clients, especially if they're VC funded to show dramatic improvements of their device. But even traditional diagnostic companies uh, are looking at ways to cut down mm-hmm. on their on their design cycle times. Oh, that's amazing. And for those uh, listening who might not know, it's CFD. Oh, computational fluid dynamics. Yeah, so you can model certain things on the computer, but not everything. So I think what I'm hearing you say is, your technologies give them the ability to take that hypothesis, test it in the real world, make the adjustments rapidly and cost-effectively so their design cycles are shorter, they can do more iterations and get to the right answer. Exactly. I mean, my- microfluidics, nanofluidics uh, is a game of surface tension. Yeah. And we don't need to go into all that detail, <laughs> but if you don't model um, that perfectly in CFD, it's it's going to be a, a poor approximation mm-hmm. of what's actually going to occur on chip. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll just extend, Frank. I mm-hmm. think the, the the thing we're telling the investors of uh, the people that run the science is that we can get into a manufacturable product within two years. Mm-hmm. And that's significantly faster than if you go the traditional route. Yeah. So we do the contract development using our design services. Uh, we we build this chip rapidly, iterate quickly, but in the end, the, the machines and the ideas to build this in production are being used at the beginning. Ah, so when we when we translate to production, right. we can immediately say we're ready to go. Yep. So this usually on on some of this development, we find that they sell this development to somebody, and then they got to start the manufacturing process. Right. So then you got another five years. So we're there at two. Mm-hmm. And that's that you can't do with injection molding. Oh, that's pretty interesting, right? Like the process I use in development, I can use at scale. I'm not having to re-engineer. I don't have to change over with FDA. That's pretty darn good. So technology and process come along. Well, maybe the, the last thing I'd ask you guys in, in closing, what's still needed? What like breakthrough are you waiting for, maybe you're working on it yourselves, but what's like the next breakthrough that we need to bring the microfluidics, the biochip industry forward another step? Well, I think the breakthrough is, is going to be happening in the next three years. I think the, 
the companies that have started uh, pre-pandemic, in the pandemic, post-pandemic, the companies that exist today are going to start this revolution. So I, I, I don't think it's going to be another uh, cycle of companies. Right. So if you look at all the companies, and there's some fantastic companies, and we're lucky to s- serve many of those companies uh, as a CDMO, it, it's the here. Ones. The technology yeah. is there. It's now about applying it. I love hearing that because that is so often, I think, a, a challenge in the work that all of us are doing, that the promise is there, but getting it to real-world application takes so much effort. I'm appreciative that you guys have been doing this for a very long time, have put in that work, and that we're seeing the fruits of that labor pay off uh, right here in Medical Alley with the growth of your company, but most importantly, with the growth of these technologies that are helping patients around the world. So I want to say thank you for the work you're doing and thank you for being on the podcast today and sharing your story. Thank you so much, Frank. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Frank. And folks, that's been another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, make sure to check out medicalalleypodcast.org or you can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Until next time, Thank you and have a great day.